Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Matthew versus Luke and the Nativity Story. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. And this week, there's somebody else. Hi, I'm Charlie, and I'm a high school member of the congregation. Dun, da, da. Yay! <laughs> yes, this is fantastic. We have a guest. So what happened was last week after our worship service, Charlie posted a story on Instagram about the gospel reading and a reaction to our gospel reading, which was about the gospel of Matthew's presentation of part of the nativity story from Joseph's perspective. And I could not resist sending a reaction back and a snarky commentary back. And the next thing I know, we're like totally chatting via Insta about kind of this nativity conversation. And then I had to send my favorite picture of Mary because I have somehow failed to represent Mary as the kick butt rebel that she is. And so I owed Charlie a really awesome, one of my favorite versions of Mary. And we had a great conversation. So apparently Charlie, who happens to be Don's youngest, decided that this was a safe enough conversation to maybe have on the podcast, for which I'm super grateful. (laughs) (laughs) So what was it that caught you about the gospel reading on Sunday. What was it that just surprised you so much? Um, I guess what surprised me was that it was something that was so familiar and yet from a completely different perspective in a way where I haven't really thought about it from Joseph's perspective before. Got it. Because that time we were hearing Joseph's rather than Mary's. And you've always pretty much heard Mary's point of view, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's dig into that a little bit. For those who may need a bit of a refresher, what are the two different stories that we're talking about here? Yeah. So the gospel of Mark doesn't address the birth narrative of Jesus at all. Okay. It kicks off right when Jesus is baptized. So we don't get from Mark any of the birth narrative. No youth stories at all. No youth stories at all. And the Gospel of John begins with like this creation narrative, but then also goes directly to the baptism scene. Okay. When Jesus begins his public ministry. So we don't get any birth narrative there. So the two birth narratives that we have are from Matthew and Luke. Luke is the most familiar one. This is the one that we're used to seeing in Christmas pageants. Mm -hmm. This is the one that is Elizabeth and Mary greeting one another. This is where Mary sings her Magnificat. This is the shepherds in the field by night and the angels singing glory, Hosanna in the highest, right? If memory serves, this is the one that shows up in the Charlie Brown Christmas too. Oh, probably. I confess, I don't know that I've watched (laughs) that. (laughs) I will double check that. There we go. (laughs) So the Luke story is the one that we're really familiar with. And it's the one that is read on Christmas Eve Mm -hmm. every year. And so it's the one that for people who attend mostly on Christmas and Easter, 
that is the story that we hear every year. Matthew is the other birth narrative. So it's also notable that Luke's birth narrative is from the perspective of the women. Okay. Right? That's part of the cool thing for us as women about the Luke narrative is that Luke chapter one begins with like just shutting all the men up. Mm-hmm. Zachariah gets silenced. We don't hear from Joseph. All the men are just silenced, which is kind of fun in that perspective of most of the time men get all the voice mm-hmm. in our scripture. Luke gives the women all the voice in that. So it's kind of lovely that the birth narrative of Jesus is from the voice of women. Mm-hmm. However, Matthew gives Joseph kind of the front row point of view. And we hear what it's like to have been in Joseph's situation, where he has a betrothed young woman, a betrothed young wife to be, and suddenly she's with child and he isn't going to publicly shame her. He's just going to dismiss her quietly so that maybe she won't be stoned to death, Mm -hmm. which would be a typical punishment, but that instead maybe she would survive this. And an angel instead comes and tells him, stay with her. And so he does. And he listens to the angel. And we start to see the faithfulness of Joseph. We start to see the kindness of Joseph. The Gospel of Matthew, the narrative also continues on to show, and this is something we didn't talk about, Charlie. It goes on to talk about the point in time when Herod gets really anxious. Like we see it in the Luke narrative where the wise people come and they travel to find the baby and Herod orders all the babies in the area killed. Mm -hmm. Well, in the Matthew narrative version of that, Joseph is warned by angels in a dream. And he packs up his family and he travels. They become refugees and they travel to Egypt and become refugees, asylum seekers. And that's how Jesus survives this time of the slaughter. And so that is in the Matthew gospel story from Joseph's perspective. So I'm curious, Charlie, Mm. what struck you about all this? Just the fact that you were hearing from Joseph as a stepfather, kind of stepfather of the year for what he actually does, let's be honest. (laughs) Or is it something else that struck you? I just found it interesting that I didn't really think about the fact that they were betrothed and not like already married or anything. Because in the story that I remember hearing, it's always been, oh, it's just Mary and Joseph and they've just been together, you know? Yeah, you caught like they didn't have marital relations. Like it was pointed out in the scripture that Joseph did not have marital relationship with her for the year to follow to kind of prove that the baby wasn't his, right? They mention these things in scripture. So they're like, way to go, Joseph. What mm-hmm. a good guy. It's a very different kind of perspective and thought pattern than maybe we have when we think about these two. When we're used to seeing like these nativity scenes of them and like Joseph standing serenely with his staff over Mary in the little precious moments figurines, right? Mm -hmm. I'm also curious, Charlie, 
was Pastor Amanda the only one who wrote back to you on this or did you get other people's responses? Um, I did get a few other responses from like people that I know that are like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. It was new to them too? Yeah, it wasn't something that like, obviously people don't hear this side of the story that often. So it's like, oh, wait, I didn't think about the fact that Mary's pregnant and Joseph's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. I didn't think about that. That's awesome. Yeah. And he would have taken a lot of flack from his community for still marrying her. Like, oh, I'm that's sure. That's one of the things that I thought about a couple of years ago was like, not only did he have the courage to not have her stoned, but he had the courage to still marry her and live and stay in that town where the community knew that he had accepted her mm-hmm. and just what kind of a person, what kind of a man would be willing to break and defy cultural norms in that way? And what kind of a community would either not care or how would that have impacted their business, their work? It's just a fascinating kind of thing to start running with. Nazareth is this interesting little town. It's a small town, just like a day's ride outside of a pretty major city that was occupied by Roman authorities. There was a garrison there of soldiers. It was a small town that was pretty mm, kind of ragtag. The Roman soldiers would kind of take advantage of this small town, but it was a place where there was work, right? Carpenters and skilled tradespeople could go into the city in order to find work. And so it wasn't like Joseph as a skilled carpenter couldn't find work within the city within a day's walk. But it did leave them in a place of danger being in that city because they were within an easy day's walk of a metropolitan area. So it's an interesting place to be and an interesting place to kind of wonder about what that meant in that time period and the dangers they faced and then what choices they made and then how they translated that into how they lived their lives. So Charlie and I kind of got into that side of the conversation too, because once you start thinking of different points of view, Mm -hmm. it makes you begin to wonder about other things, right? So Mary, we like to portray her, the church portrays her as really meek and mild, but Mary is not this meek and mild kind of young woman. Yeah, I also feel like it's interesting that since this isn't the common story that's told around this time, that it feels a lot more real because it feels like there's a lot less like, I don't know the right word, but just like a storybook feel to it. Yeah, it feels like it's been kind of like sugar-coated in a way to make it seem, for lack of a better term, more holy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like, it just feels like it's the version that is more like, let's take a look at how this felt as opposed to just telling the story. And can you imagine, like, this young woman in this small town outside of this occupied metropolitan city who has seen a city in a place where there is violence and where there is unrest and, you know, a lot of things that we see in our world today, a lot of things that you as a young person see in our city are things that Mary would have seen, right? And so 
it's not that far from a reality that we can actually understand, although we try to make it seem so different and far away. The young Palestinian woman who is Mary lived a life that was not that different. And the miraculous thing about her was that when given the opportunity to say, are you willing to be a part of something that could change the world, even though your life will be at risk if you choose to do this? She said yes. I don't know if it was, you know, the miraculousness of a virgin birth. People could call me a heretic for having just said that. But I do think it is miraculous that a young woman would say, I believe that my choices can change this world. And that she would write a lullaby that would say, God, you will change this. You will lift up the lowly. You will cast the mighty down from their thrones. You will change this world. You will turn it upside down. And I believe you can do this. And that there's a partner for her who will believe in her and believe her and stay by her. That's kind of cool. It's pretty miraculous. Yeah. Honestly, I'm just thinking about that because, like, given a more modern context, I feel like it's really interesting to think about because, I mean, I'm just thinking about if this happened, like, among my peers. Yeah. Or if it happened to, like, me specifically, I would be terrified if an angel was like, Charlie, God thinks that you would be great for this. Right? It's going to change the world, but like so many things could go wrong for you. And it can be like, you may not make it out of this. And just still being like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Like that is crazy. Right? That's the miracle of Mary. That's the thing. Is she says, let it be with me. Like she consents to this. She gives her consent. And it makes me wonder, like part of me has wondered in sometimes, and I have no scriptural basis for this. So like, just go with me in the wondering, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Is the, how many other people had the angel already gone to? <laughs> was she the first one or was she the, the 500th person that the right? angel asked? Right. Mm-hmm. To be like, hey, you want to be a part of this and be like, uh, and no, thank you. You mean stoning is a possibility in all this? I'll pass. Yes. Peace out. <laughs> right. Or death and childbirth. Or you say that I'm going to give birth to the child. So there's going to be a way for me to give birth to this child. But that doesn't mean I'm going to survive the birth. It Mm-mm. doesn't mean I'm going to be able to raise the child it doesn't mean i'm gonna have a family after this child it doesn't mean i mean nothing even guarantees the life of the child necessarily no that's a lot and mary goes on to have to watch her child die on -hmm. the cross right she lives and she has other children because jesus has brothers and sisters but she has to watch him die on the cross she's there at the foot of the cross watching that so she is astonishing as a figure and she is no small meek someone described once a statue of her as this kind of strong 
woman striding barefoot with a child on her hip, like a statue that had been made of her Mm -hmm. in that kind of incredibly strong woman kind of way. And just that image of women throughout time who have given birth to children and just survived. It is amazing. I think we've been done wrong by a lot of the Renaissance paintings of the serene and passive Mary. Yeah. That's too bad. Because I would love to see it much more stronger, like the Nike of Samothrace kind of pushing into the world and spreading their wings for all to see. Right? She was a force. Mm -hmm. An absolute force of change in this world. And Jesus would not be who he was were it not for Mary. And would not be who he was if not for Joseph. But Joseph was this much more passive, sweet, kind. In some ways, I wonder, was Joseph like the opposite of the modern toxic masculinity? Is this part of why Jesus is this lovely counterbalance? Or am I just dreaming that that could be the possibility? (laughs) I like that dream. (laughs) Charlie, let me ask you this. Do you think this story hit you now because you kind of have hit the teenage years and you're mature enough, for lack of a better word, to sort of think of this story in a different context? Um, I feel like This story, since it was so different from what I'm used to hearing, kind of hit me. I guess I just never really thought about it past, like, the, it's the nativity time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, this is the time we talk about, like, oh, Mary's pregnant. Oh, here's the angels. Here's the wise men. Here's the shepherds. Like, I don't know. I never really just dug into it as much because it just kind of is like, it's a time and things happen and it's just the way it's always been. Well, and you were younger, right, and just participating in maybe doing the nativity pageant. And then we had the pandemic, and you weren't doing the pageant during the pandemic because you were in confirmation, right? So we were looking at other stories and other parts of the story. So this time when you came back to church to watch the pageant was the first time you came in with a little bit more adult ears. Fresh eyes fresh eyes. And let's be real, the pandemic has changed us Mm -hmm. and has given you, I would presume, an understanding of risk and also a fresh passion for understanding what it is to want this world to be different. Yeah. I feel like just like thinking about the story in a way where I It's something that I want to think about and it's not just something that's like, oh, I just hear it every year and it's just part of life is also really something new to me, I guess. Yeah. And just like, especially with what we were just talking about, like how many other people do we have to get through to get the incredible person that Mary was and like (laughs) accepting, I'm going to have this child, they're going to change the world and I might die doing this, but I'm still going to do it for the greater good. Yeah. And how do we honor our part in that story, too? If we're not Mary, right, if that's not our role to be Mary, then what if our role is to be Elizabeth or our role is to be alongside Mary as she raises Jesus or, right, There are a thousand other people in the story 
who are next to and surrounding Mary. So then how do we see ourselves coming alongside? Once we begin to tease out these different points of view within the nativity story, once we start imagining different points of view in the nativity story, we can start imagining, okay, well, there was an innkeeper who said no to them, but there was an innkeeper who said yes to putting them in the barn. And there was probably someone who helped her deliver that baby. There was probably a Hebrew midwife there because they are notorious for being present and amazing. So there was probably a Hebrew midwife there. Who was that Hebrew midwife? And what did she see? Right? And how can we start imagining what it was to be a part? And how do we see ourselves in that story? Because I don't know. I don't know that I would ever be Mary, but... <laughs> not likely. Not me. But no. Yeah. Not my call. But I'm somewhere in the story. I don't know. I feel like the way that Mary is presented versus the way that if you actually look a little harder, you see her is also something that's kind of interesting to me now that we're like kind of digging into this. Because honestly, I never thought of Mary as like a really strong kind of woman. Yeah. Because she's never presented as such. She's always presented as like meek and just like demure. I feel like personally, and this may be kind of a weird statement, but I feel like I've been done a disservice by seeing someone who is so important to the story presented that way mm -hmm. because without mary there is nothing past mm -hmm. she had to deal with so much like yes joseph is like a great guy or whatever but like mary especially in the way that she's portrayed is not seen as the important component to this that she is yep and without mary or like, I don't know how to phrase this, but like this specific Mary. By that you mean this docile and serene Mary? No. Like the rebel Mary. The rebel like Mary. Like rebel Mary. Okay. I want to like think about how Jesus could have like turned out. Like obviously he still would have been like, it's the son of God. But it's like, would he have the same empathy and compassion in the same way that maybe Mary has given to him? Because like... Joseph is, and I didn't think about this until we were in the car, because we also had this conversation in the car coming back. Joseph is a stepfather. It's Mary and it's God yeah. that are really the main two people that are giving Jesus what he has. Yeah, 100%. And there's a term that I want to hand you right now that's so cool. So it's Greek, theotokos. So it comes from theos, God, tokos, to bear or carry, Theotokos. And it is the way that Mary is referenced in the Orthodox tradition. She is the Theotokos. She is the God-bearer. And isn't that the best title for her? That's a pretty kicking name. Right? Mm -hmm. She is not... what she deserves. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. She is the great Theotokos. She is the God-bearer. And when you go into an Orthodox cathedral, you'll see that in the back, there's the great iconostasis, which is the big panel with a whole bunch of different uh, saints on it. And then the dome rises up behind and you'll see Mary painted behind the dome because it is Mary as the Theotokos, Mary as the God bearer, who through her comes Jesus. And the whole area where 
the consecrated host and communion is held comes through Mary. And so Mary is always on the back and then Jesus is on the top of the dome. But Mary, the Theotokos is always there. So the Hagia Sophia, I believe, mm-hmm. that's where we get that beautiful version of Mary there. Yeah, gorgeous, right? Mary deserves this incredible lifting up, not because of her virginity, right? Which is where I think people get tripped is that Mary often so much in North American culture gets tripped up because we get tripped up in this purity culture. Mm -hmm. And there's this shift where we take evangelical purity culture and the Roman Catholic lifting up of Mary, the mother of God. Mm -hmm. And we don't really understand either one of them as Protestants. Mm -hmm. And we blend them into this weird, like, oh, so Mary must be really cool because she's a virgin. Mm -hmm. Especially with that soupçon of puritanical nature that comes with being in North America. Oof, duh. Uh (laughs) Right? And so then we get this, like, lifting up of Mary as an awesome figure, particularly for those of us who are assigned female at birth, and then who are raised femme-bodied, that Mary is an ideal because she is a virgin. When really, like I said, in the Orthodox tradition, where we have this raising up of Mary, it is not because of her virginity. It is because she is powerful. It is because she said yes. It is because she is strong and willing to bear God into the world. And she teaches and she sings about the world turning upside down and She raises God in a whole new way, right? We see this in the Gospel of Luke. That is all through the Gospel of Luke. But our culture, our culture that we live in and the art that we create Mm -hmm. presents things to us that can interpret what we receive from the Gospel of Luke or what we receive from the Gospel of Matthew in ways that um, do us a disservice, do us a great disservice, Charlie. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Which is why I felt so bad when I'm like, wait a minute, I know I've preached about the Theotokos, but I think you were like nine and you were so not paying attention. So Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) (laughs) so like, you know, this is where it reminds me that I can repeat a sermon for one. You really can. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And for two, I need to make certain that I am showing people like these incredible images of the rebel Mary more than once or twice because she is awesome. She is our God bearer and she's amazing. Mary Magdalene has just as powerful a story. I love Mary Magdalene. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to possibly do this again with Mary Magdalene as the topic. (laughs) That would be awesome. Okay, this is going to lead me to my last question, and I have one for each of you. Charlie, you get to go first. Okay. Now that you have all this in your head and it's all fresh and new, what would you change about what you see in your average nativity to reflect what you think should be different? Um, less pretty. Yeah. We like to make it very pretty and very simple. And I think, I mean, we've been saying this a lot, but I feel like it is a disservice to the story mm-hmm. to make it simple. I mean, like, simple, simple, because 
we have a weird shaped like wooden nativity set it's quite (laughs) odd but just like that simplicity in it where it's like oh joseph's the bigger one mary's the smaller one and jesus looks like a sausage like Mm -hmm. like you look at it and you're reminded oh nativity but it's also like it's nothing but that and i feel like that's where we kind of go a little wrong so i feel like if i were to change anything personally it would be just be like oh mary looks really cool joseph is just chilling and like yeah there's animals but it's also like this is a barn Mm -hmm. it's kind of gross and this child was just born he is not clean this is not hallmark Mm -hmm. you know yep excellent there's some smells going on Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) okay pastor man it's your turn Uh uh-huh When you have people who come at you with this different perspective or have realized something like this, does this cause you to go back and change how you preach on these? Or is it just exciting because it's not something that happens all the time? It's fabulously exciting. Mm -hmm. It absolutely made my day on an already awesome and spectacular day. It just made my day even that much more awesome and spectacular to have that conversation with Charlie by text. And this has been an absolute joy. And it reminds me, like I said, that even when I feel like I've said something, it bears repeating. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel badly because I feel like, no, I just did that. I just said that, or I just told that part of the story. I probably shouldn't repeat that. They're going to think that I'm being lazy. They're going to think that I'm not doing my job. They're going to think that I'm just right? Like those kinds of feelings start to get stuck in as a pastor to be like, well, you've always got to come up with something new to say, or they're going to think that you're just being a lazy pastor. Mm -hmm. But to be reminded that we forget some of these details, or we maybe didn't hear it, maybe our hearts weren't open, or maybe our ears weren't open for whatever reason, is a really powerful reminder to just keep pointing out because our culture really does offer a very different portrait of these stories Mm -hmm. that our modern kind of contextual criticism is offering a different perspective on and we can take a different look we can show it i think there's a reason why the nativity by everett patterson who is a local artist here in portland he's actually the husband of um, someone that i've skated with here in roller derby okay there's a piece of art that he's made called the nativity and there's a reason why that particular piece of art is so popular around this time of year because it is gritty mm-hmm. because it's not pretty and it is powerful every year to see it come back and be reminded again and again. So for me, it's a reminder. It's okay to tell the same story. It's okay to point out the same things. We need these reminders. So thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda and Charlie, for taking the time to talk to us about the differences between Matthew and Luke in the nativity story. I look forward to sitting down with you, hopefully both, again someday. I would absolutely love that. Thank you, Charlie, for being with us. Thank you for having me. We look forward to being back with all of you in the future. 
You can always reach out to us if you have a question or a podcast idea by emailing us at podcast at centralportland.org. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.